Welcome to Media in the Mix, the only podcast produced and hosted by the School of Communication at American University. Join us as we create a safe space to explore topics and communication at the intersection of social justice, tech, innovation, and pop culture. Welcome back to Media in the Mix. Today I'm joined by Bridget Maher. And today we're going to be talking about everything Anacostia Youth Film Festival, a little bit about Bridget. So can you just uh, give us a little bit of an intro into how you got to AU and what you do now at AUSOC, which is the American University School of Communication? Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I'm a professor in the Film and Media Arts Division in the School of Communication at American University. And I joined AU from Columbia College, Chicago, where I was a professor in 2004. Oh, wow. So I have been here for 18 years. That is a long time. That's awesome. And have you always been a professor here? Have you, you know, dipped your toe in a lot of different things in AUSOC? So I've always been a a full-time professor here. Mm -hmm. You know, the remarkable thing about being a professor is that you have the ability to teach various subjects within uh, a specific area, Mm -hmm. and there's always different opportunities to do various research. So in my time here, I've done anything from co-directed the Center for Media and Social Impact to being interim director for Community Voice Lab, division director for Film and Media Arts, so it's really varied. Mm-hmm. I'm super excited. Next semester, I'll be teaching a class on Aristotle and film. Oh, so that's it's cool. Really, a lot of remarkable opportunities at AU. Can you just give a little sneak peek onto what that'll be? Sneak peek on Aristotle. Yeah, Aristotle and film. It is actually part of a new class called A Good Life. Okay. Using Aristotle's uh, Nicomachean Ethics. Okay. And so I'm going to look at how Aristotle defines a good life Mm -hmm. and, you know, juxtapose it with the current challenges that we have in the United States and internationally and also explore it through the genre of storytelling and film. Oh, that's very cool. All right. So you heard it first. You heard it here first. That's awesome. I want to get right into the Anacostia Youth Media Festival and what you're doing with that. How is AUSOC getting involved in making it happen and what can people look forward to with that? So we're thrilled to be creating the Anacostia Youth Media Festival, which will take place in downtown Anacostia, May 19th and 20th. This is really significant because as of July 2022, Mayor Bowser um, issued the dictate that the Anacostia neighborhood will be the arts and cultural district for Washington. Mm -hmm. And what is exciting about that is that there's going to be infrastructure and opportunities around the arts, specifically in that neighborhood. Now, I became very interested in founding a youth media festival in Anacostia after I spent the last year volunteering and working with youth at Kramer Middle School Mm -hmm. in the neighborhood of Anacostia. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to expand the reach of having our students in School of Communication and specifically the Film and Media Arts Division work with youth in Ward 7 and Mm 8 that are traditionally uh, disenfranchised through systemic discrimination. Through the work of Professor Natalie Hopkinson, Mm -hmm. we know that the arts funding for Ward 7 and 8 is significantly 
less than the other wards. Mm -hmm. That's been proven historically. So it's really important that youth have an opportunity to express themselves artistically, which mm -hmm. is why we have it as a media festival where students can submit anything from photographs to uh, games, yeah. digital games, to um, short film and videos, whether they're fiction, yeah. documentary, uh, as well as podcasts. That's so cool. Okay, that's fun. So they get to like create their own podcast and submit an episode with, or they submit the whole podcast. Absolutely. If you are under eighteen, you could submit this podcast. <gasps> I to <the> wish. Festival. Yeah, <laughs> I me miss too. Those me too. days. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Very cool. Who are some other um, key partners not related to SOC that you're working with that are also helping in making this happen? Is it a collaborative effort? It's a very collaborative effort. I've lived in Washington, D.C. for 18 years, and much of it was in the neighborhood of Brookland in the Northeast. However, two years ago, kind of post-COVID, I moved to Southeast D.C., and I live in a neighborhood that's actually on the border of Maryland mm -hmm. um, and D.C. called Fort Davis. But I really wanted to get to know my area because I didn't want to be perceived as somebody who was gentrifying or somebody who was just coming in and not part of the neighborhood itself. Mm -hmm. So I felt that the best way that I could engage would be to sharing my profession, sharing my skill set. So I knew pr Principal Shelby from Kramer Middle School from her work as an assistant principal at Ballou a few years ago. Mm -hmm. So when I moved, I contacted her and I said, you know, what would you be open to having me build out the media infrastructure mm -hmm. for your students? Because I had a real concern about building up parity for youth, especially post-COVID. Because we heard a lot of stories about how families were really challenged. Mm -hmm. I know personally, I definitely, my family had a lot of challenges mm -hmm. uh, with education during COVID. I have um, two children with disabilities and, you know, trying to balance work yeah. and at the same time you know, educating them from home was really difficult and mm -hmm. I'm a university pro professor I am the definition of privilege so in thinking about the community that I live in mm -hmm. I thought you know if there is such inequality in terms of access mm -hmm. to technology what was it like for the youth in my community to study online for those two years what are those implications what is it going to be like for them to transition back right um, after two years being online and so I felt really a calling to see if I could in some way help this mm -hmm. next generation yeah that's great and I guess a, a good follow-up question to that um, especially with with some public schools here in DC what or what are some resources that you feel public schools are missing and maybe that can aid in kind of expanding their creativity so I can only really speak as a volunteer mm -hmm. observer as a parent yep. who has a child in DCPS and you know like in so many situations it's a squeaky wheel that gets mm -hmm. the gets the grease right mm -hmm. so if you're looking at a school like Jackson Reed yeah you know they have parents who come from higher income mm -hmm. have more access to opportunities and so therefore they have far more resources yeah but then you look at a middle school such as Kramer where the parents don't have the same form of economic privilege mm -hmm. they very much you know are struggling to provide for their families they're not going to be able to advocate on the same level as somebody who 
income wise makes three times four times the amount that they do Mm -hmm. and so I really believe strongly that as a community member then Mm -hmm. I want to work in allyship with those schools now I kind of provide a, a roundabout context to answering your question because the fact of the matter is is that you know when parents are busy making a living mm-hmm. and they don't have the space to advocate for their children yeah and advocate for resources then the schools suffer and they don't have as much mm-hmm. and it's just obvious and I think what's really critical is this experience as an educator and as a professor to take my students from American University mm-hmm. and have them go and volunteer and work with the youth. Yeah. And it has several, I think, critical outcomes. Mm-hmm. First off, it, you know, we are storytellers and we want to teach our, our students to be storytellers. Mm-hmm. They have to have vast exposure to the human experience. Right. They have to recognize that some people have more some people have less Mm -hmm. and also we tend to uh, at American University maybe be a little bit siloed on this side of the city when you know if you go across the Anacostia River that's Mm -hmm. almost a third of Washington Mm DC that many students never ever get exposed to so I think it's really critical that we take our students across the river they work with the youth Mm -hmm. when you are able to teach what you know it really amplifies and solidifies your knowledge. Right. And also it gives you an exposure to people that you wouldn't ordinarily mm-hmm. come across in Tenley Town, right. for instance. I think it's critical in a university that's dedicated towards public service yeah. and making an impact that we make an impact and we support our communities mm-hmm. locally. Yeah. And that means, you know, creating infrastructures where our students can then teach Mm -hmm. middle school students Mm -hmm. and work in collaboration with a professor that can explain, you know, certain contexts and certain situations to both, you know, the middle schoolers, but then also the college students as well. So it was really that collaboration going into Kramer Middle School, working with a number of graduate students and undergrads. Mm -hmm. We did a summer camp last summer, which had uh, undergraduate Mm -hmm. AU film students and graduate AU film students working with middle schoolers. And we also had AU alum come in and we shot a professional music video. Oh, that's fun. And I think it was such a great experience for the youth Mm -hmm. to actually see that this is possible and see what it takes. Mm -hmm. But I think it was an equal, if not more of an education for our American University students because I think the inequity mm-hmm. and the systemic inequity was really shocking. You yeah. know, we have all this equipment and yet the elevator isn't working. Right. Why isn't the elevator not working? Well, you have to put in, you know, a request to the DC government. Mm-hmm. Well, how are those requests made? Right. Who gets service first? Yep. So it's a lot of questions that I think students start to explore that can promote their own sense of what they want to achieve in the story right. that they want to tell. Now you ask the question, who's involved uh, as part of this uh, youth media festival um, in the community? Mm-hmm. And I have really made a point of listening. I think that anytime you take on a new position in leadership or you take on a new program, mm-hmm. you really should spend the first six months to a year just learning about the environment that you're in. Right. And so I really just listened. 
I had the opportunity to, last year to come in and work with a co-teacher while mm-hmm. working with the kids, getting to know what their stories were, what their challenges were, mm-hmm. um, what brought them hope. And that was such an enriching opportunity. Mm-hmm. So I really was working with Kramer Middle School and the incredible teachers and staff that work there. I also had the opportunity to get to know Ron Moten, mm-hmm. who is the founder of the DC Go-Go Museum and Cafe and Don't Mute DC, mm-hmm. along with Professor Natalie Hopkinson. I've been working with our new director of youth outreach, Lelania Abner. Mm-hmm who uh, has been really, really instrumental in introducing me to a number of different people who are really on the ground. Right. Because, you know, it's easy for us to make snap judgments if we see that something is inequitable, but you really have to kind of be in the presence and talk to a lot of different people to start to understand, well, what are the conditions that have created this systemic inequity for youth in that Mm -hmm. particular area? And how can we be of assistance in supporting the community that's right. there. Yeah. How can we give back, really? Yeah. Um, and you kind of answered this a little bit, but if you can expand on anything, feel free to. But basically, how has kind of including the students, and I know some staff members, we have PhD students, so we have we students do. from really all just all walks of, of education, which is awesome. But how do you think that's definitely aided in, I say definitely because I know it has, but how? How has it aided in their experiential learning? These, you know, combining their educational experience here at AU with real world experiences? Well, I think that film itself lends itself to project based learning mm-hmm. or experiential learning. And I think it's also really important that because film students are going to be working in the professional world with a wide variety of people right. and telling a wide variety of stories, we need to know how to be on the ground Mm -hmm. and again listen and be present and be active in um, working with diverse communities Mm -hmm. and so I think by having providing the opportunity for them to you know go in and teach workshops as part of the um, Anacostia Media Festival Youth Mm -hmm. Media Festival um, mentor students there um, they'll gain a better understanding of what role they want to take on as storytellers when they graduate and the Mm -hmm. type of work that they want to do understanding that media really is and film really is the 21st century art form and way in which we communicate right you know we look at all the tiktok videos and all the social media and so how do you want to go with it Mm -hmm. Because one of the challenges that happens um, in today's society is that, you know, youth are on Instagram, and if somebody unfriends you, that automatically implies they're not your friend in real life. Right. You know, or if you have an argument on social media, sometimes the youth take it to the take it to the street so we know that media can have impact for good or bad depending on I always say depending on how it's wielded Mm -hmm. and having this experience of working with youth that may have similar may have different backgrounds will really help students have a better understanding of how they want to use media to create a social impact right and what stories they want to tell right that's awesome and kind of a follow-up to that so I noticed you mentioned two things which was the mentorship program and kind of workshops that you may do and I know one that stood out to our office honestly was the game design workshop because we don't really talk a lot about game design so can you kind of elaborate a little bit on that so everyone can just get a sense of of kind of what happens in these workshops 
Absolutely. So I have the privilege of being able to teach in the game program mm -hmm. as well as the film and video program. Oh, I, I originated okay. uh, with an interest in fiction filmmaking when I went to film school at Northwestern for my MFA, but it was in the mid-90s when we were really shifting technology that had been really prohibitively expensive um, to more consumer brand computers, et cetera, such mm -hmm. as, you know, interactive narratives and, you know, even CD-ROM authoring and everything like that. So I was exposed to interactive narratives fairly early on. What is exciting about this is that the fact of the matter is, and the game faculty will tell you, mm -hmm. games actually market-wise, as well as viewers or users or players, mm -hmm. is a much larger industry than motion pictures us motion picture professors don't necessarily always talk about this, yeah. but the game professors often <laughs> remind <Will>. us <laughs> yeah. that that's the case. And yeah. so the fact of the matter is, is that kids these days, you know, they watch short format content. Yeah. They don't necessarily watch, you know, television shows mm -hmm. or movies. Uh, definitely the alpha generation yeah. is the TikTok YouTube generation. And what they do um, how they do interact with media is through games, whether yeah. it's through, you know, mobile gaming or um, utilizing, you know, for the more kind of hardcore, the PC gamers yeah. or console gamers. This really is, you know, whereas like uh, we are the the 21st uh, century language is a visual language of filmmaking. Definitely yeah. the way in which we interact with the world is through games. Yeah. I think what's remarkable about the Film and Media Arts Division mm -hmm. is that we are very interdisciplinary by nature mm -hmm. because we're always telling stories about something. It's right. not just the camera. The camera is used as an instrument. Yeah. instrument. You know, Vertov called it the Kino eye, the yeah. film, the eye of the camera. Yeah. And so as part of that, um, exploring games and game development is a natural exploration and evolution of linear storytelling. Yeah. And because we have such a fabulous game center and I have the opportunity to teach in the um, games program, it made sense that we should offer, yeah. you know, as part of our workshops on May 20th for the Youth Media Festival, an intro to gaming. Yeah. And so as a way of recruiting students to get excited about the um, Youth Media Festival and also for students who want to submit but may not have the skill sets, we've been offering workshops. So mm -hmm. we've been offering uh, smartphone filmmaking workshops and intro to gaming workshops. Mm -hmm. We did an intro to game workshop uh, in person, but also online. And I will say, hands down, that's by far the most popular workshop. Yeah. And we're also holding uh, another workshop um, for the festival itself yeah. on the 20th. That doesn't surprise me that we're kind of starting to just work with the world that the new generation lives in and it's it's a very short attention span and you kind of have to get the important information out you know I could definitely see how visually media is definitely changing um, and even games I noticed that there's a lot more immersive options now and it's kind of mixing that world of like real and immersive and people can get involved so it's a it's a real interesting time for game design I actually. think it's exciting because you have um, game you have the you know challenge of game mechanics versus yeah. the narrative mm -hmm. and it's not so much that they're in opposition with one another but you have to you know make the how-to of how the game works right. and the rules and everything like that support the narrative right. so support the storytelling yeah. and so it's you know very much related to storytelling but then also in a way takes away 
the control right. that the storyteller has mm-hmm. because you put it in the hands of the player. And that's right. pretty exciting. And that's in line with, I think, what a lot of youth are used to, mm-hmm. especially when you think of the two years that they spent online. Yeah. They're inherently doing interactive work through the computer. Through the computer. Yeah. And so, you know, it's this is just uh, another evolution of that. I would say right. that youth definitely got exposed to media in a way that was very concentrated. Yeah. And during COVID, and so it's going to be interesting to see mm-hmm. what the outcomes going yeah. to be of, of all that exposure in 5, 10, 15 years. Sure. We know from the industry perspective that there is a focus on much shorter content yeah. and shorter narratives yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. And that there's a loosening of, you know... Um, what streaming means and how the youth get access um, to their media. Yeah. And distribution now is like, there's so many avenues versus what was kind of your traditional distribution path back in the day. You know, there's a lot more (laughs) that you can get involved in nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. And at the same time, I think if you look at the independent film world, which is a discussion for another podcast, it's also very troubling because it's difficult now with the, we had a moment where there's a lessening of gatekeepers Mm -hmm. when people began to cut the cord and now we see the increase of gatekeepers. And so um, I think that that also is why it's so critical for students to get early exposure Mm -hmm. to media literacy and hands-on experience and understand hands-on experience with filmmaking equipment, but then also understanding the impact that media can have. Yeah. Yeah. And how messages can be deeply influential. I mean, if we just look at the January 6th yeah. um, riots, that's an example right there of how narratives can be spun into an insurrection. Right. And, you know, these things are playing out on in much smaller but just as impactful ways with, you know, youth using you know, um, social media to extend bullying that happens in the classroom. Yeah. So I think that, you know, having the opportunity for youth to express themselves through media and then be able to make it a public act Mm -hmm. and a public celebration is really critical. Yeah. Because I think that we know post COVID that we're all perfectly happy watching films from the comfort of our home, Mm -hmm. whether it's in bed or in the living room or whatnot. But we have to rethink then what's the significance of having a public screening. Yeah. And I think it's for discussion and it's for creating connection because that connection is something that we really lost uh, during COVID. And when I was working with the youth of Kramer Middle School, who really inspired me to do more and really inspired me to to want to do a youth media festival in conjunction with the youth, where I'm just there to like provide the skill set, but they're driving it. Uh, It made it really, again, a calling for me to support these students these the youth to tell their own stories mm-hmm. as a way of helping them process yeah. what has been happening in right. this world the last few years storytelling is around trauma you go on you know I don't want to sound like you know a lady at this point but we are really at a precipice right now in terms of questioning who we are as communities yeah because we're so um, divisive. People are feeling really disenfranchised and not heard. Mm-hmm. So I think that having festivals and having gatherings yep. are more critical than ever mm-hmm. in order to create a sense of connection yeah. 
And so I really hope that an outgrowth of this festival is that youth who have never heard of Anacostia mm-hmm. or perhaps have never driven through Anacostia are exposed to this rich and beautiful right. historical neighborhood. Mm-hmm. They get to celebrate with other youth that may come from different backgrounds, but share this common language yeah. and that they can learn from one another. Mm-hmm. And even furthermore, I think it's important to have intergenerational learning. Mm-hmm. And so whether that is learning from a college student who's five years older or a grad student who's 10 years older right. or a professor who's 30 years older, mm-hmm. being able to be exposed to different people's stories and different yeah. experiences is only going to help them grow and also see what is possible. Yeah. And the learning happens on both sides of it too, which is very cool. I think it, there's always room to, to grow and to learn no matter if you're teaching or learning in the moment. So that's very cool. I feel like it, it aids everybody. I always feel that as a professor, I'm always learning more right. than uh, yeah. than my students. I mm-hmm. mean, that's that's the real privilege uh, to have my that's position cool. is that it's yeah. constantly, I'm constantly in the yeah. position of learning. That's awesome. Bridget, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you just let everyone know where to go if they want to learn more about the Anacostia Youth Media Festival? Yes, they can just go to anacostiayouthmedia.org. Okay, and we'll include any important links you'd like us to include in the description as well. Thank you so much. It's grateful. I'm grateful. Thank you so much. And if you'd like to check out this episode and other episodes of Media in the Mix, go to uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, We are now a video podcast on Spotify, so that's very exciting. And if you'd like to donate to SOC, go to giving.american.edu. And that's a wrap.